Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. This is episode 207, I believe. I don't have the internet right in front of me here at this moment because I am in my mobile studio, so I can't look it up, but I'm pretty sure this is episode 207. Anyway, this is going to feature a testimonial. I had a chance to interview David Mallon again. He's the guy that's been on talking about ham radio. Well, he's one of my ham radio participants. I've had three of them that I've interviewed with. David's the guy from Southern California, the emergency manager for the Port of Los Angeles, that also teaches ham radio. Well, he's been through a disaster recently, so... You know, for some of you that are wondering, well, what's it like? You know, what's it going to be like if the stink hits the fan? What's it going to be like even if there is a partial disaster? Even uh, somewhat of a minor disaster or not a major end-of-the-world disaster? Because, as you know, I don't like to go tinfoil hat on you. So I talk about things that are more probable. Well, a partial disaster is probably more probable. Well, David's been through one. And he's been through an earthquake, so we're gonna he, you're going to hear him talk about what happened immediately after that earthquake. I'm going to bring him on pretty soon as my special guest. So let me cover a couple of quick announcements first, and then we'll get right to it. The website is todayssurvival.com. If you want to email me, it's bob at todayssurvival.com. If you would like to join our forum... I would love to have you do that. Please email me after you've submitted your sign-up for the forum. Email me at bob at todayssurvival.com. Remember, there's two S's in that address. Bob at todayssurvival.com. The reason I want you to email me first is that's the best way I can think of to keep spammers out. Spammers love to try to join the forum. Hey, if you send me this email, I know you're listening, and I know you're you're not going to be a, a spammer. Tell me what username you used, and I will get your account approved within 24 hours or less, usually within about four to six hours, and then you can start posting. We've had a lot of good activity lately on the forum, so you can check it out. You can just read if you want. Go to todayssurvival.com, click the forum button. It'll take you to where you want to go. Some of you have emailed me and asked how you can support the show by buying through Amazon. I set up an Amazon store. And there's a link. There's a page right at todayssurvival.com that says Amazon Store. If you go to that page, Amazon Store, at todayssurvival.com, and go in and click that link to get into Amazon, I will earn a small fee for whatever purchases you make. And that's kind of, maybe that's a way you can help give back to the show. Also, don't forget about my Survival Champions Club. Uh, White Bear, the primitive living skills expert that I recently had on the show, it really gave me a great interview on how to how to pick a survival mentor and also how to set up your vehicle uh, for emergency purposes. Pretty good stuff there. I really like how he brought primitive living into an everyday use context. I think he did a very good job of that, and I hope that you agree. Also, Glenn Tate talks about part two on building a prepper team. So Glenn Tate's the... Uh, author of the book series 299 Days. By the way, if you want to buy his books, you can also get his books through my website. Click the Recommended Books page. 
And last but not least, check out my Everyday Carry store. You'll see some basic items that I use to stay prepared. And if you want to get those, you can purchase those and help support the show as well. I do not have paid sponsors, so this show is completely supported by listeners like yourself. All right, that wraps it up. I like to keep that as short and sweet as possible. Let's get right to my interview with David Mallon. Well, David Mallon joins me again. David, welcome back to the program. Thank you, thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks. You know, if listeners recall, you were on the show a few weeks back giving us quite an education about communications and ham radio without having to be an engineer to try to figure all that stuff out. Thank you. That was a very valuable show. Uh, I was more than willing to do that. It, you know, I, I, I always consider you know communications one of the top priorities during any disaster. So, uh, you know, I, we, we talked after the podcast and stuff like that and traded a few emails. And I want, you know, I explained to you my tale of woe uh, of some of the things that I've gone through personally. And, you know, I, I guess you wanted to hear some of the stories about what I went through during the Northridge earthquake where I actually lost my condominium that I had, which actually wasn't the Northridge earthquake. It was actually the Reseda earthquake. Okay. I, when I, I think when they said it was all said and done, the epicenter was closer to Reseda than it was to Northridge, but it was already na- it was already named. And plus, majority of the disaster that occurred was in Northridge, so it it kept its name. Well, you know, I'm glad you've come on to share this. You know, testimonials from people who have actually been in a disaster uh, th- these are very valuable. I mean, you you've lived through an earthquake, so tell us as much as you feel comfortable telling us. And what should what should people know about going through such a disaster? Yeah, so let's go through the little story. If you remember, right, that was I think it was July. I think it was January seventeenth. 94 or 95, I don't remember the exact year, but I do remember it was Martha Luther King Day. That was the day my condominium I actually had planned on putting up for sale. Well, five like 5.15 in the morning, I'm sleeping in a king-size waterbed on the right-hand side, and next thing you know, I feel this thrust, and I'm dead asleep. It just, it literally lift, lifted the waterbed 18 inches up, took my big butt and threw me out the left side of a king-size waterbed, and I was sleeping on the right-hand side. Oh, no. Now, you're like, well, how do I know it went up 18 inches? Because afterwards, you were able to see the indent from the headboard from where it was on the ground to where it put a huge dent into the drywall. And I was able to measure. It was 18 inches. Oh, wow. That's why, that's why I know. So the shaking goes on. And believe it or not, that shaking wasn't considered a very long earthquake. You know, like the ones that were going on in Japan, they were shaking and rattling and rolling for like five minutes this thing lasted ah, i want to say like 40 seconds or so you know with 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 the with the rolling motion and the, uh you know it was a quick thrust up and then a lot of rolling yeah and all of a sudden you know i picked my butt up and i'm like all right i'm going back to bed it was an earthquake but i'm laying there and i'm smelling drywall and i'm like okay i know it was a big earthquake i've been through some you know some fives and some fours over the years but i've never been in california for what's considered one of the big ones. Yeah, and I want people to realize that, uh, excuse me, I want to remind people that, that uh, for people who didn't listen to the last show, David's in Southern California where they get a lot of earthquakes. Yeah, well, I would hope people know that the Northridge earthquake was in California. But yeah, that's right, we shouldn't assume, you know, without, without putting up a map and stuff like that. So California gets earthquakes, Japan gets earthquakes, Alaska gets earthquakes. Well, there are some people that might, uh, well, I know I have international listeners too, so that's why I wanted to point that out, because some people might not know where Northridge is. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's okay. 
So, you know, I get my butt up, I'm back in bed, and I'm hearing people yelling, screaming, and I'm like, okay, it was a big earthquake, but it wasn't that big of an earthquake. But one of the good things is, okay, got the flashlight. I go grab the flashlight, always keep a flashlight near my bed. Anybody that doesn't keep a flashlight near your bed, you're making a huge mistake. So lesson number one, always keep a flashlight near the bed. You know, you, you just never know. 50% of the time it's dark, or close to 50% of the time it is dark, so have a flashlight. So I sit there, and I'm like, man, these people sound crystal clear in my bedroom. Well, I take the flashlight, and as I shine it around my house, I notice there's this huge gap between the drywall and the floor. And I walk over to the edge, and I'm looking straight down three stories from inside my bedroom to the parking garage. Oh, wow. The walls had separated from the corners of the building, and I was able to see straight down three stories. Good Lord. And and then as I start, you know, of course, you know, you were dead asleep, and I'm shining a light, and I'm looking, and I'm like, wow, I have drywall that actually came off the wall. And as I'm moving my flashlight around, I'm looking around, I'm like, this place is destroyed. I go, and that was that was like 40 seconds. And um, so then I go in, I go in, you know, I, I try to first go into the family living room area of the condo and i noticed that my door had shifted so i had to first yank on the door to get it open because the building had shifted so that's exiting door number one that was just a wood door so that was pretty simple and i noticed that my my everything that i owned every single piece of everything was on the floor nothing stayed on the walls Anything that was a TV hutch or anything was on the floor. Even the refrigerator, all my dishes were broken. All, my refrigerator was face first on the floor. That's how bad it was. Oh, no. Yeah. So then I'm like, okay, this is really, really bad. So I go and I put some clothes on and I'm, I'm trying to open up the front door to my condo and that door was kind of stuck. But then I, as I started going and looking down the hall, I'm like, I hear people screaming on the other side, banging on the door. And it was the, you know how you've been in buildings before that they have fire doors? Yeah. You're right? You're, you're familiar with those. Yes, I am. And you know, yeah. And you know how fire doors, what are they normally held open by? For, magnets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So what happened, and that, that magnet is normally electrically powered. Yeah. Mag, you're talking about mag locks. Yeah, they're, they're like mag locks, but they hold – they keep the fire doors open. So when a fire alarm goes off, the power to it shuts down, and then the doors close. And so they seal the fire from going from you know from area to area to area. So it, it, basically they're like fire blocks from between different se- separations of a building. Right. But in an earthquake, you lose power. I mean the power immediately went out. So it, guess what? The fire doors close. The fire doors closed. Because the magnet maglocks are no longer energized to hold them open. Right. And what happened? The building shifted. These doors aren't wood doors. These doors are steel doors. Yeah, they're very heavy steel doors. Very heavy steel doors. And they're banging. Well, you know, me being the type of person I am, I have one of those fire department crowbars. <laughs> yeah. And let me tell you, I, it took me an hour just on my floor to get all those doors open. No, it was wow. a workout to work my way around the floor of the building. And, I mean, if, who keeps a crowbar in a condominium? Well, I did. Shows that having a little bit of foresight, just always thinking one step ahead, having that crowbar probably saved some. I wouldn't say anybody was really in danger because building, our building never collapsed. But people were definitely stuck and it would have required fire rescue. 
and you're not getting the fire department to come to our building during a major disaster when there was buildings, if you remember, like Northridge Meadows that collapsed. And then you had uh, parts of Granada Hills where the gas lines ruptured underground and it looked like the earth was on fire. So, you know, first responders are very busy after a major calamity. So really, you're, you're left to that self-preservation and he who has the most toys at the end wins. Well, that kind of helped in this situation. Now, of course, at the time, I actually worked for the city of Los Angeles. At the time, I had no pet. Well, I did. And I had a parrot. And unfortunately, uh, my parrot cage had tipped over. And the parrot cage landed on the parrot and killed the parrot. So I don't want to say I didn't have a pet. I did have a pet. But I was thinking like more like cat and dog. But, right. yeah, so I lost my parrot during that, that, that quake as well. But I have a requirement you know, that I'm a city worker that requires me to report to work. So one of the first things I did after – you know, trying to calm everybody down, like, where are you going to go? I mean, if it affected us, it affected everywhere else. Let me just cancel that. Hold on. Uh, so, um, give me a second. Sorry about that. Uh, oh, and I can't even unplug it. Uh, there we go. Good. All right. We're done. Don't worry. I'm, I'm good at editing. I'll edit that out. Okay. So, all right. So, so back, to, back to the story. So one of the things, you know, after getting dressed and stuff like that, I end up going to uh, West Valley Police Department for Los Angeles Police Department. We have a requirement as government employees to report to work. Uh, you know, you're supposed to take care of your family's needs, but then you're supposed to report to work because, you know, we, p- part of our job is we're civil servants. We're there to help the public. So I report to West Valley PD, and, uh, of course, they have no power. They have no communications. Their generator wasn't working, and they wanted their phone circus, of course, because they, you know, they live by the phone. Well, the problem is they had one of the older uh, phone switches. Oh. That phone switch requires power. So their phone circuits were down until power was restored. Just it, that's it, it was what it was. I was able to bring up a couple of circuits that had, uh, you know, like with traditional with traditional uh, phones. And believe it or not, the old style phones, they work great. Uh, but don't get the ones that are cordless because the cordless ones are the ones that require home power. Right. The old style phones that are not cordless, the old hardwired phones, those don't require power. Right. But but as we go on, as time goes on, you know, we're becoming more and more dependent on voice over Internet protocol. Oh, yeah. I would. Oh, I, I know it. The phone companies are trying to get rid of that because maintaining that copper is very expensive. It's very expensive. Yes, it's very expensive. So we'll go through about the whole phone thing in a little bit. So after getting done with that, I ended up going to downtown L.A. and start bringing up computer circuits for the city. You know, for me, it was over, you know, basically, I think my first. After that first day, I worked maybe 20 straight hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, so after work, I then go home and I really was able to take time and see how bad bad was. And I realized, you know, even before I left that place, that that was probably the, my very last mortgage payment on that place I was ever going to make. I had only been in the place for about a year and a half. I put minimum down. And, you know, the, the uh, at the time, the real estate market was going backwards, hence one of the reasons why I was trying to sell the place. Uh, but as I start looking around and do, really doing a good assessment, I'm going, well, damn, with uh, you know being part of a condominium and a homeowners association, they have to rebuild the building. And, uh, you know, if there's 132 units in the building, you're responsible for 132 
one one thirty seconds of the price of rebuilding. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, wow. So really, I need to call my buddy who's a lawyer and explain to me the whole prop, you know, the whole thing of first trust deeds and all that stuff. Long story short of it, you know, sometimes you walk away. And this and was I one of those times, you, wasn't it? This was one of those times. And this is where I'll get into the part of you got to do, don't take, how do I want to explain this? A, pe- a home, a piece of property, don't get emotionally attached to it. I understand it might be a family heirloom that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. Look, if you have a lot of equity in it, you need to insure it. If you just moved into it, or you're upside down in mortgage payments, which a lot of people in the United States are, if it's a major disaster, you're walking away. And, and you got to look at it quick, simply as a business decision. Because I'll tell you what, when it's the opposite way, when the banks are holding the cards, they're not going to stop to foreclose on you one bit if you don't make your payments when they're due, especially when there's profitability in it. Yeah, they're not going to hesitate too much. It is. It's a business decision. Right, and, and during a disaster, it's a, again, it boils down to being a business decision. But here we are. My mom still lived in the area. Her place did fairly well. But if anything, I don't want to live back. I couldn't move back home. You know, once I moved out, I was done. So what, what am I going to do? Here we are. I have tents. I'm not going to live in a tent. Well, part of preparedness, besides having cash on hand, which is important, is having money in the bank. Emergency funds. Oh, I, I I talk about that a lot. Oh, I know, I, and I, I hear that. I mean, I, I I'm like you. I mean, I this this is this is complete honesty. In my entirely entire livelihood, and mind you, I started with nothing. I started off as a as a private in the Marine Corps with zero dollars in the bank. So for someone to say that, well, you grew up with money, no, I started with nothing. In my entirely entire livelihood, I have never made a credit card payment in my life. Really. Zero. Congratulations. That is awesome. Now, mind you, I charge every month. Yeah. I pay off every month. Yeah, you charge every month, you pay off every month. Well, you know what that is? That's really a charge card, not a credit card. Correct. So for me to have like something like American Express would be perfect. Because American Express doesn't give you points. The other ones do. So, long story. You know, I have money in the bank. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? Well... You know what? There's always that RV trader, and yeah. I end up immediately opening that thing up, even while I was at work that first day, and I end up buying a 36-foot fifth wheel. <laughs> and that was your new home, wasn't it? That was my home for the next basically nine months. So from January of, I think it was 95 or 94, all the way to September till I found another place to live. And, you know, I, I ended up going from a one-bedroom, one-bath condo to a three-bedroom, two-bath home. And we'll go through the insurance thing in a second. I was living in an RV until I got everything settled. And you and, paid and, cash for it, didn't you? And I paid cash. I, you know, I think the thing. I think the thing cost me twelve thousand dollars. Yep. Now, mind you, I was very fortunate that when I buy insurance, I look at the, I look, I read what I'm signing for, and I realize that, hey, you know, when it's all said and done, I got one year's worth of uh, coverage of temporary living facility. So. And plus, I sat there and I'm going, okay, this is a condo. You know, it, it doesn't really cover the exterior. It only covers the interior portion of the contents of the building. And I had a writer for a few other things. Well, the one thing I was always good at is keeping a file in a cabinet and keeping all my receipts. So when, and I think at that time it was 20th century, I think one of the first things I did 
the following day or day after, I called them up and I'm like, look, let me explain to you. They get, the city of Los Angeles is getting ready to tag this building and red tag it, meaning once they red tag it, they're not going to let us come in here anymore. Right. I got to move my stuff out of this thing immediately because this, this building is definitely destroyed and damaged. And I said, well, what should I do with the stuff that's destroyed? I mean, I don't want to have to save it because who knows how long it's going to take before I get one, see one of your claims agents. Well, the good thing about what I did is who are you, where you work, what's your name, do you have an employee number? I wrote all this stuff down good. as I'm talking to this person. Notes, 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 notes. And I took pictures, 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 pictures. You, I, and back then, digital cameras didn't exist. Or they were just coming out. I can't quite remember. If I remember right, I had everything with just regular film pictures. Right. But one thing you should always do on any house that you own, go around the house with a video camera or with an electronic. Take pictures of everything today. Where everything that you own and give it to somebody that lives out of state. And the reason may say, should, should you ever go through a fire and you have insurance and you need to prove that you owned what you said you owned, you'll have at least a video log or photographic evidence of what you own. And, you know, let me stop you there for a minute. It's easy to do that these days because now we have such great digital technology. Just take some digital videos and email them to a relative and have them keep them on file and then also send them a backup CD. You could do that or you could store it on the cloud. You could store it on the cloud as well, too. Yeah, exactly. So therefore, you have a digital record of the stuff that you have, even though you don't write down the serial numbers, or at least there's, there's photographic evidence. Because what's going to happen after these major disasters, these guys come out of the woodworks. I think my guy came from Florida, and he lived in an RV for nine months right near me. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They, they, these guys get paid for every case that they close out. And the one thing that I was able to do over time, which it, it took me maybe a month, for everything that I owned, I had my sales receipt. So I was able to take photographic evidence, a copy of almost a, a, of a receipt, and give that to him. And he's like, well, how do I know you owned this ahead of time? And then give him pictures of it in the house and in the trash after I threw it out. Because they, they put the dumpster right underneath my condo. It was just, I was throwing like my couch and everything off the balcony into the trash can. Because everything. I mean, the drywall destroyed my – I had, I had like glass pictures above my uh, leather couch. All that glass broke, and it was all into the leather. So I just threw everything away. I didn't keep anything. Wow. So photographic evidence and having proper insurance, probably two of the best things you'll ever, you could ever own. Yeah. And now you mentioned something interesting earlier as well. You know, you said having cash on hand. And I think you mean actual cash on hand, correct? I mean money, dollars, coins. I don't mean gold bullion. I mean... Literally, because if power is out, how many companies have you seen recently that did the old swipe of a credit card where, remember, they used to have the carbon paper? Yeah. I haven't seen that done in ages where, no. where they do that. No, everybody I, wants, every, yeah, everybody wants cash. Yeah. It's cash. I, cash, cash. Cash is truly the king. So it's important that you have, you know, spare amount of money readily available because you're not going to be able to go to the ATM, you know, machine to go just pull money out until you probably get out of the impacted the impacted area yeah it's quite possible the atm machines will be shut down because they don't have any power the banks themselves will be out of power their system could be shut down and so go to the bank go to the atm to withdraw a bunch besides that atms have limits anyway right 
That's not going to be not going to be very likely. So cash on hand. Um, you you know have a big safe. Store it in your safe. Set, store in a safe. Hide it in a book away from the safe. But you know keep, keep it scattered in several different locations. Do something. But you know having money, especially in nowadays, it, for and we're not talking. I'm not talking about the apocalypse now. I'm, I'm talking about practical things that you need to think about before any disaster, whether you're in a flood zone, whether you're in an earthquake zone, tornado zone. I mean, Southern California, we probably get hit with 13 of the major disasters out of the 18 that have been identified by FEMA. So this, you know, California is, uh, you know, the king, the king of brush fires, riots, earthquakes. Uh, we don't get hit with hurricanes, fortunately. We do get hit with flooding, you know, especially in the northern portion of the state. So we, we get impacted with a lot of different things. So yeah. having certain things as, you know, your go kit, oh, the go kit, how important it is. And I, I keep preaching it over and over again, having a good knife, making sure you have water, making sure you have a thermos, hiking boots, clothing. I mean, having this stuff readily available and not trying to have to pull it together when you need it in an instant, you know, having that little backpack readily prepared. And I'm not saying you have to do it all immediately, but start building it up over time. I, it was funny because I was talking about to people uh, at work just the other day, and I gave them a, uh, a a discount code for a website called Going Gear. It's just one of the favorite places I love to go to for uh, purchasing stuff. And I get I am not fiscally connected with them one bit whatsoever. I just think they have some of the coolest stuff around, especially when it comes to flashlights. Yeah, you can't. You cannot have enough flashlights. No, you can't have enough flashlights. And you know, I want to back up for a minute. You said something about keeping a bag packed. You know, we commonly like to call these bug out bags or emergency bags, whatever name you want to give them. I don't care. I've had people actually literally ask me, "What's the purpose of a bug out bag?" And I, I have to explain to them. But there's a secondary purpose. You just hit on the secondary purpose, and I don't hear this talked about a lot. This way, all of your emergency supplies are all in one place, easy to find. Right. And, well, here's the thing. I don't have just one of them. I have a bunch of them. I keep one of my, I keep a, it's kind of like a cargo container in a way. Yeah. But it's like, it's flexible in my truck. You know, so that my, in my own personal vehicle, I have inside there immediately flashlights, uh, extra water, a first aid kit. I don't keep flares. I know some people like to keep flares, but I have a little problem with anything that likes to cause fire, keeping that in the back of my car. So I have those LED light ones that will last forever and run for hours and hours and hours. Uh, I'm just thinking what's in there. Knives. I have – you, you ever watch that show, Doomsday Preppers? Yes, I have. Okay. So they had well, – on one of those shows, a guy created the thing called the Crowville. I don't, it was a shovel slash pry bar slash whatever – Thing is awesome. I got one. Actually, I got two of them. I keep one in my company car and I keep one in my personal car. Why? Because you never know when you're going to roll up on somebody that needs help. And I'll tell you what, it's hap- it happened. That's a different story, maybe for a different time. But I actually had, I did a rescue. Actually, I've done two rescues in my life. And, you know, having a crowbar, you know, when, when there's a major impact with a, a car disaster, you know, you, you, when you need it, you need it. You just, the thing is, if you don't have those tools at your disposal immediately, then you're not prepared. Yeah, and people need to know uh, you're also you're an emergency manager by trade, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted you to verify that because I want people to understand that you've got some credibility, not only your personal experience, but what you do for a living. Tell people real quick what you do for a living. 
Well, I'm, I'm the emergency manager for the Port of Los Angeles. Uh, I'm one of the city's emergency managers that sits on the emergency management committee for, for L.A. You know, one of the things we try to do is get our employees prepared, explain to them that, look, you know, though you have a job, this just isn't a Monday through Friday job. You have to have an understanding that during times of disaster, just because you're like, say for today, you're an attorney. But during a time of a disaster, I could use you, especially if the mayor declares it as a disaster, which is going to happen during any real event. That your 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 skills and your specialties, especially if you're trained in other things, can be utilized, and it could be outside your job class. Just because you know, just because today you're a lawyer doesn't mean tomorrow I can't have you as a shelter manager. Yeah, after a disaster, people's jobs are going to be all messed up. And, and and you know, some some cities are way better prepared than others. Like New York, they really, really, really have a. A, a, a much better handle on dealing with preparedness for its citizens, but then again, their taxes are probably three times the amount of what ours is. Yeah, no kidding. I'd rather pay lower taxes and just prepare on my own. You know, listening to your podcast, I and you know, I've got six more years left with the city, and I, you know, my personal belief is I rather have zero taxes and I will take care of myself. Than constantly paying government to handle stuff and not run it in the most efficient manner. Yeah. But that's me. You know, again, personal belief of myself. I'm I'm like you. Like you know, I hear your your favorite saying is um, I, I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. Yeah, I say that on my handgun world podcast. Yep. I, and then I heard you use my line. My my and of course I got my line from one of the commanders of uh, another agency, and that is, <laughs> oh god, <laughs> it's funny. What what's what's my statement that I that that you're starting to use it now? Let's see if you remember it. Oh gosh, now I'm drawing a blank. Bad time to draw a blank. Oh, you're drawing a blank. So his thing is when seconds count, we're minutes away. We're minutes away. Yeah. Okay. When seconds count, the cops are minutes away. Exactly. When seconds count, they're minutes away. So you know, I live in a state that is a May issue. CC concealed weapons permit. Yep. One, another reason why I probably will end up leaving the state, I, I'm kind of like you. I hold the permit for uh, Utah, Florida, and for Nevada, but I can't hold one in my own state because I have a sheriff that doesn't believe in self-protection. And mind you, I am one of the employees that works for the city that had four, four of his coworkers killed. That is such a screwed-up system that you have but, in California. But that, that, that's we keep voting for these politicians and you know one of well, i i listening to your not your survivalist podcast but your other podcast about take people out to shoot get them trained get them into it their 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 vision will change and hopefully the political beliefs are changed well i'm up to 10 and i figure if those 10 get up 10 others into that mindset you know to me it's like football the best defense is a good offense, yep. and that's the way I look at it. Well, and it's a snowball effect. It really is. If people will just start you know, taking people out to shoot and getting them acclimated to it and getting them realize that it's not a big, bad, evil thing, you know, it will snowball. Then they'll do the same thing to others. And you know, I, I'm, I tread very carefully when I talk about you got your bug out bag and what you're going to carry, especially if you don't have a permit. But I go, if it's a, if it's a disaster – and and you're having to protect your loved ones and your family. It's a decision you got to make on your own. I know what my decision is, but are you willing to make that same sacrifice? 
Yeah. Know, I, I, again, I spent 31 years in the military. I'm not leaving my security and my protection up to someone else. I'll take I'll take matters in my own hands. Thank you. Oh yeah. Well, did, yeah. did you come close to having to protect yourself in any way after that earthquake or not? Uh, not during that, but during the uh, what was it? During the civil disturbance. Yeah. I was one of the guys that set up set up the original command post for LA City uh, at 54th and Arlington, and I was escorted by uh, CHP in the front and LAP in the back. And guess who got all the bullet holes? <laughs> I did in the yellow van. They put, they shot they put two bullet holes in my yellow van. Really? Yeah, I mean it, it, it was it was ridiculous. But, you know, when civil disturbance civil disturbance starts to happen, what are you going to do? Well, you know, and and I and I like your terminology for it. I like your your civil disturbance terminology rather than calling it a riot. But we all have to understand and I and I've been talking about this a lot the last few weeks on this podcast. We all have to understand that when things get desperate, people will do desperate things, especially the unprepared. And a lot of them will cause civil disturbance. Uh, we've seen evidence of that. This is not just some pie-in-the-sky theory that I have. We've seen evidence of it, and you've actually been involved in it. I've been involved in a bunch of different disasters. That's great. Now, I could tell you, actually, and I wholeheartedly believe this because I witnessed it, had, had somehow the mayor just simply requested that the media shut the news sources down for a while or delay it for two hours before you show it, we could have quelled it much faster. Yeah. But because they were showing stuff live, and I heard about this later, the guys would say, we're watching it on TV. We see them coming down the street. We joined in and we started looting. Had they shut the media source down, they wouldn't have known that this was going on. Right. Fewer people would have known that that was happening. Fewer, exactly. Fewer people would have known and that would have quelled it. But because because of the media, and this was before the whole internet craze. Oh, God, now with Twitter, you, I don't even think you could stop it even if you wanted to. No, with Twitter and Facebook, there's no way to stop it. There's no way to stop it. Unless the internet doesn't work, but that's highly improbable. That's, you know, I keep hearing that people are always saying, well, you know, the Internet's going to go. Well, first of all, do you know who owns the Internet? Nobody owns the Internet. The Internet is a bunch of uh, routers interconnected all over the world. There's no one company that owns the Internet. So, you know, there could be a virus that shuts all these routers down. But even that's very highly unlikely. I don't think that's very high on the probability list. No, it's very, very, very low on the probability. What's more likely is... Uh, losing power, you know, po- the possibility of losing the power grid, possibility of losing phone circuits, th- that type of stuff. So, so let's get into the phone circuit things because I've heard you on a couple of other things. So after a major disaster, you got to realize phone circuits as they're designed, they're not designed so that if everybody picks up the phone at one time, that everybody's going to be able to make a call. The way the way it works is, let's say there's there's a thousand people that live in a neighborhood. They might have a hundred a hundred lines that feed the entire neighborhood because they, they, they realize there's a ratio of users that are on at any one time, and then at peak loads it goes beyond that a little bit. That's that's the number of phone circuits that they set up. Of course, after a disaster, what does everybody want to do? Pick up the phone. Hey, they man, want to make a phone that? call. Yeah. yeah, it's like what was that old Budweiser commercial? Was that remember that? <laughs> <laughs> was that? Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, I, it was one of my favorite commercials because I go, oh, there we go. There's the Northridge earthquake right there. There it is, yeah. Because everybody, everybody picks up the phone and they're like, did you feel that? Except the problem is every the, the people that truly need and truly have an emergency that need 
the phone. They can't get through. They get the line. Now, I, I've got it so that I have, so long as I could get a dial tone, I have what's called a government emergency telecommunications service card that gives me priority access on the phone circuits. Mm-hmm. So, but I got dial tone first. And my cell phone, if you, and this is another one. Have you ever dealt where you, you make a phone call and nothing happens? You just sit there and you're waiting and you're waiting and no, no, no dial tone or anything? Yes. Okay, so that's known as you're being put in a queue. So, again, it's the same thing. It's not designed that it can handle every single phone call that every single person that, that's in that area, if they all pick up their cell phone at once and wants to call, you're put in a prioritized pecking order. Think of it that way. And the best thing you could do in a major disaster when that happens is don't hang up and recall again because then you get put back at the bottom. You just place the call and you just wait. So oh, that's known okay. as being put in the queue. A lot of people don't know that. So just so, wait it out. Don't try to just, hang up right. and call back. Don't hang up. But again, during a major disaster, don't call anybody because the phone circuits, you're tying up the, for the people that truly need it. But that's I mean, really tough to, for people to resist. I know. The, the best way to do it, send them a text. Because what we found out after a lot of major disasters is the phone circuits don't work, but the data does. You know, and there's a lot of people, David, that don't believe that. I've talked about that, and I've actually had people email me and tell me that they didn't believe that. And it, that's true. I mean, the, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but text messaging operates on a different part of the cellular network than do phone calls, correct? Absolutely. Yep. Sure yeah. do. Yeah, so t- and, t- and texting is a quick blip. Exactly, it, 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 it sends it and it's done. It's not like it's not like taking a circuit and holding it like a phone conversation. Phone conversations, which get digitized, take a whole lot more bandwidth and take up, up a lot more space than a text message. A text message is like up oh, circuits open, boom, sends it, it's done. In fact, it's probably quite likely that you can't make a phone call, but you can get a text message through. Right. And now, and here, here's another. I'll give you the other key with when it comes to disasters. So, if you do have to make a phone call to say somebody to a loved one, and you're not getting through, which good, you shouldn't get through because you shouldn't be calling them right away anyway. But the, the the key thing is is don't try to call local. Try to call long distance because long distance circuits are different than local circuits. No, I didn't know that. A lot of people don't know this. So, what you want to do is you want to have an out of state contact. To pass traffic through, kind of like a ham radio operator. You, what you do, so for instance, I tell people, if you need to get a hold of me, don't call me. Call my mom in Las Vegas. She's, she's outside what's known as the ladder. And I know I'm saying it with a New York accent, but that's, what, that's how the circuits are designed. You want to call outside, the phone company calls it the ladder. And for instance, that's all, most of Southern California. So by calling Las Vegas, I'm using the long distance lines. And people know if you need to get send me a message, call my mom in Las Vegas. She'll be the relay point, and we'll relay information that way. Yeah. Or send me digital messages because eventually I'll be able to retrieve. The social, the social websites, for the most part, aren't going to go down. Probably email not. Service, yeah, email servers will still be up you know, in some other part of the country. You know, They all have redundancy and backup everywhere. So use the digital technology instead of trying to use the voice technology. You'll probably be way better off. Or you can do my thing is get the ham radio license, which I, you know, I keep plugging that. But yeah, we talked about that. <laughs> well, you know, you're bringing up some important stuff because you know I see a lot of people that like to fantasize about these, you know, complete tinfoil hat disasters where. You know, there's some kind of an EMP, and there's absolutely zero communication whatsoever. I, I just find that so unlikely. 
So do I. You know, um, I mean, that, that, that we're talking about major war, and you know that, that you're in a whole different scenario, or the nuclear disaster. Well, you, you know, it could happen. Yeah, like, it could. Well, there's a difference between possibility and probability. Exactly. I mean, I could tell you there will be an earthquake. Exactly. I cannot. I cannot tell you there will be a nuclear war. Right. Now, it's possible there could be a nuclear war, but it's right. not very possible. But I could tell you there will be I mean, be excuse me. I meant to say it's not very probable. Well, not very probable, right. Yeah, right. Not, but, not, but I guarantee you there will be another earthquake. I guarantee you there will be more flooding. I guarantee you there will be more tornadoes. Yeah, and those are, those are probable. The, no, those aren't probable. Those are going to happen. They're going to happen. They're going to happen. It's just, it's just the, 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 it's just nature. It happens all the time. We have them every. I forget how many tornadoes we get hit. With. We get hit with thousands of earthquakes every single day. Every oh yeah. Day. Now a lot of them are small. Now I can't tell you we're going to have an eight point tomorrow. We're going to have one eventually. Might not even be in my livelihood. I don't know. But you know what? I've already gone through a bunch of fives and a big six point. What was it? Six point eight. I've gone through that one. That was that was huge. I've gone through a tsunami. I never thought I'd go through a tsunami in Los Angeles. It was minor on our end, but in Japan, it was devastating. I yeah. mean, Japan, if you look at it, they got hit with a trifecta. They got hit with an earthquake, with a tsunami, and a nuclear disaster all in one. Yeah, I know. They got hit with three devastating disasters. I mean, one in by itself is, is completely ridiculous. Especially at, the, at, at, at how big everything was. Yeah. But they got with three major disasters all in one time. Yeah, you know, I didn't, I, you're right. You're right. And thanks for pointing that out because now that, now that I hear you talk about that, you're right. That's what happened. It's just that I forgot about that. Wait, and don't forget, what, what time of the year was it also when that happened? It was winter. So you're wet. You're homeless. You got to worry about radiation disaster, and, and you're cold, and you're cold. Yeah, so you, you got hit with a quadruple whammy. Yeah, and, and you know, right now it's we're coming into the springtime in the USA, uh, and springtime we all know for a lot of people in certain parts of the United States, it's tornado season. They're coming. Yep. You know they're coming, so you know you need to be you need to be getting prepared now. So that comes up. Pardon me. One of the main things to keep 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 like a readiness kit together: water, 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 and well, water and food. I mean, you you need your essentials: water and food. Now, a lot of people say, "Well, what kind of MREs?" I go, "Don't buy MREs. Why don't you just stock up?" On, I mean, how many people buy shop at Costco or Sam's Club or Walmart? Overbuy, just completely overpurchase and keep just keep a rotation going. Keep a rotation going. Mean? You're going to use it. Yes. Yeah, the way I do my, my whole water thing is I have these huge five-gallon jugs, and I go down to the water store every couple of weeks, and I fill them up. I don't, have, I don't have those little bottles of water. Now, of course, if I have to bug out and go somewhere, I'll just take a couple of these five-gallon jugs, throw them in the back of my truck, and then I've got a little hand pump to fill up a uh, – I keep a, a, a Camelback and a couple of thermoses in the truck. So I could just fill that up. I also keep um, – for when I, you know, I go hiking – What's that? The Steropin? I've got those little portable things that you could fish out of a stream and suck water into. Yep. And they sterilize the water. I keep a couple of those around as well, one in every vehicle. Because, you know, I'll take a water source, even if it's got chlorine in it, if I'm thirsty, at least I'll be able to drink something out of it. Yeah. You know, and this is all common sense stuff you're talking about. Exa- I'm not doing anything that's over the top. You know, people say, 
oh, wow, you got to have a flint. And uh, I go, you know what? Keep a lighter with some butane, all right? <laughs> you don't have to make it so complicated. I remember what was that jungle school I went through in Panama? They gave me a they gave me a knife and they gave me a wet match. And to this day, I'm still trying to figure out what I was supposed to do with that stupid match. If anybody knows what I was supposed to do with that match, please tell me because I lost probably like 15 pounds. I, I was like dying out there. All right, I was eating nothing but leaves. Oh, <laughs> uh, they gave you a knife and a wet match they gave me a, and a wet match. Yeah, you know, it was like it was like Seer School, it was survival, evasion. What was it? Survival, evasion, reconnaissance, and what's the other thing? Something like that. Why would they that, give you a wet match? I to this day I've never figured. I, I think it was just as a joke because you know, you, really, if you're going to kill something, you need to cook it. You know, because you know, fire basically is more than just for heating stuff. It also uh, sterilizes. Yeah. If you got water source, you could boil water for a period of time and it will kill everything that's in it and then you gotta let it cool down so fire is important fire is a huge survival tool so either ha- learn how to use one of those fire starters or have a whole bunch of matches and make sure you keep them dry you know because fire will save you you can use fire for a lot of things plus it's a you know it's a marking tool it, it, it helps you cook stuff it helps you sanitize stuff it's important that a knife fire water food What's, those are really the key. And then, of course, uh, proper clothing, shoes, and, and you're covered. The other thing that I love to carry, and I'm actually I'm keep playing with it. You ever see those survival bracelets? Yes. The paracord bracelets? Yes. Learn how to make them on your own. I know people keep buying them, but learn how to make one, especially learn to make the one that ends up using one piece of cord that ends up being like 15 feet long. I wear the one that's like that, and the reason says, well, why don't I get the other ones that, you know, they're multicolor? Well, because the multicolor ones are actually two pieces that are only eight feet long. I want a 15-foot piece of cord, not two eight-foot pieces of cord. That's a good point. Right? So when I, what happens? Someone says, well, what are you going to do with 15-foot of cord? Well, with paracord, that thing, especially I use the 500-pound cord, that thing actually allows me to tie around a tree and hopefully make a shelter if I have a piece of plastic. Ah, plastic ah, bags. Okay. Cheap, take up very little space. But with plastic bags, you can make a poncho out of it. You can make it, you know, so that if you're laying down someplace that's wet, it could be, you know, the floor. So plastic, plastic sheeting, you know, that's the tarps that you use for painting. Just take a package of it and throw it somewhere. Keep it in your vehicle. You never know when you're going to need it. Yeah, it's a good point you bring up. It's a good point you brought up earlier, too, about starting fires. Starting fires. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I'm not I'm not the, the, the king of the survivalist thing or the guy that goes out there. There's people, we probably find people that are much better at teaching the the Boy Scout 101 uh, survival skills. That I mean, I, I play with it, but not as much as some of these guys that sit there and they'll gut, they'll gut the animals, kill them, and do everything else. You know, the Rambo-style thing. Yeah, have you ever heard of blast matches? Of what? Blast matches. No, what is that? Blast matches, I'm pretty sure. Let me look it up real quick on the, uh, on the Internet. I'm pretty sure that's what they're, that's what they're called. And... Uh, they're they're very easy fire starters. I mean, it's not like something that you know you, you have to carry it with you, but it's a great uh, it's a great tool to keep in your survival kit. Um, yeah, me, I just always I always look for you know I keep one of those just those simple spark fire starters. Yeah, I always just look for dead leaves and stuff like that. And I I'm always able to spark to get that little I call it my little bird's nest warmed up. I still remember stuff from when I was in the Marines from years ago that I'm able to get that going and start a fire. I mean, uh, you know, I've got that those at least those those minor skills. 
Even well, though I grew up in a city, I spent enough time around a bunch of hicks that lived out in the countryside that they taught me something. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go ahead and put in the show notes a link to uh, what's called blast matches there. And if, if you go, if you just uh, search on YouTube blast matches, and I'll put also a link where you can find those and to amazon.com. Matter of fact, it'll be in my everyday carry store. It's a good tool to have in your bag. I'm not going to say it's a hundred percent foolproof, but you know what? Uh, it just might make things a whole heck of a lot easier for starting a fire. Right. And, now, uh, the, the- Okay, go ahead. Uh, they're under 15 bucks. It's a real simple prep. If people want to get one, just go to todayssurvival.com. Go to the Everyday Carry Store. I'll put a link there. Yeah, the, the two, uh, there are two other things I want to make sure that I, get, uh, that I hit on because yeah. a lot of people don't prepare for it. One is the portable generator. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 you know, I don't care if you only get a, uh, what we know as a 2,000-watt one, but at least at a minimum, buy one of the small, little, super quiet, so you have some way of creating some type of power, mm-hmm. whether to recharge batteries or whatever, or end up buying a solar kit, of course. But if the weather's bad and there's no sun, you don't get. But to, if you have a generator, what do you need for generator? You need fuel. You need gas, yeah. You need gas. So if you got a generator, make sure you have an extra, you know, a bunch of extra fuel laying around. So think of that in your mind as well. And at the same time, if you have that, you got to keep oil and you got to keep extra spark plugs, and of course power cords. To run those wires. In other words, don't at the time of the danger or the disaster, that's the first time you fire up the generator. No, that should not be the first Actually, time that you use it. Okay, sorry, we got cut off there. So if people noticed a little break in our conversation, it's because Skype cut us off. Keep going, David. Okay, so the last two things I'll just cover real quick is... As much as you prepare for yourself and your, for your family, make sure you got enough supplies for your animals. Animal, you know, you're, you're, believe it or not, there's a lot of people that will not evacuate or go in a shelter if they don't have their animals with them. So as much as you prepare for yourself, you need to think about your animals. And then lastly, those of you that are on have medical issues and you have prescriptions, you need to make sure you have more than a 30-day supply of your prescriptions. And I know that's hard. Because a lot of medical providers and a lot of medical insurance policies will only give you a 30-day supply. You know, I'm, I, I found a place that actually will give a 90-day supply. And then I get smart enough that I, uh, I tell them that, oh, you know, I need another extra refill. So I'm always, I always have six months supply of my, my meds just in case. Yeah, there are some meds, very few. There are some that I, it's almost impossible to get more than a 30-day supply. But... All of mine, I've got 90-day supplies, and you know, my wife has, I think, one or two where we can only get 30-day supplies. Absolutely. And it, there is one other thing I should cover because a lot of people don't even think about it. And, uh, I could speak about it. You're going to have somebody else that works in the medical community. But there's a thing called advanced medical directive. Have you ever heard of that? Yes, I have. Yes. It's important. If you want – you – a lot of people want to make the ultimate decision of what's going to happen to them should they become – a vegetable. I don't, I'm just trying to put this in the, the I'm, calling it, I'm calling it what it is. If you're in a vegetative state that you can no longer make decisions and you've got a certain philosophy about the way you want your body to be treated and you're incoherent and you're left in a medical state that you might be considered brain dead or not brain dead and you're hooked up to life resuscitating equipment that keeps you in a state and we've heard of horror stories where people are left in this state for years upon years. 
I've always of the belief, and again, this is Dave Mallon speaking, that the date that I can't wipe my butt anymore is the t- date I want to be put down. Yep, me too. My buddy knows that. So if that's being, if that is the case, sometimes the person that you want to give that adv- leave to make that advanced medical directive decision is not your significant other. So. Because if you have a, a, a spouse or a significant other, I've got to be politically correct here, that will not, no matter what, go beyond because of religious beliefs or whatever, won't make that tough call. You know what? Sometimes you need to have your best friend as the person that makes that decision for you. Good point. Good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, because there's nothing on there that says it has to be your loved one. And true. for me, it's, you know, my, my buddy from high school, we've been friends since the 11th grade. We're still best of friends. We're both almost 50 years old. And he knows, and I'm the same way. If something should happen, it's like, hey, buddy, pull the plug. And then he knows, I want my ashes scattered. I want some of the Yankee Stadium, some at Oakland so I can watch the Raider games, some of it in the ocean so I can swim with the fish, and the rest of it I want shot out in the space. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, I didn't think about that because you're right. Sometimes loved ones might be too emotional about it all and, uh, and not do exactly what you want them to do. You know, this is where you got to do sometimes what I call these just practical exercises and you go through things in life. And I've seen it, you know, where other people have gone through this and they're like, Man, I know that person doesn't want to be left like that. I know that person, but the person didn't have an advanced medical directive. So the person, the family makes the decision of what happens to them. And there you go, six months before the doctor finally says, look, you know, I hate to tell you, but it's time we put Irvin down. We have more compassion for animals than we do for human beings. We'll spend a billion dollars to keep somebody alive for a month and they're not ever going to know that they were ever kept alive. Isn't that something? You know, you're right. You're right. Um, that's, uh, these are things that people don't necessarily like to think about, but you're speaking the truth, and I like to speak the truth on this show. And it's part of, it's part of the survivalist mentality. I mean, you get to a point of, you know, can you keep on going on? I mean, or is it, you know, you got to go, you got to face the facts of, all right, I lived a life, it's time to go. Yeah, that's it. That's true. That's yeah. true. Um, Good stuff, David. Thank you. You know, most importantly, thank you for sharing your personal experience of going through a disaster. You know, I think we all needed to hear that. Yep. Important that you get the idea of some of the, you know, stuff that people go through through a disaster. Again, here's the other thing. When you start looking at where you're going to retire, where you're going to move, look at the areas that are least prone to disasters. That, that's another thing if you're in that type of mentality and where you get to make decisions about, you know, how you want to live and where you want to live. Nothing says, you know, when, when, you know, this is the United States. You can live anywhere you want. You choose. I remember hearing you. You came from the East Coast like I did. You went to uh, Wisconsin. You ended up in Texas. Yep. This is the United States. You have the right to move to any state you want to move to. Yep, and we'll welcome people, uh, you know, that want to come here to Texas. You want to come to a more free state with low taxes and a much more sensible government, come on over. we got plenty of room. Yeah, I think you'll be getting Magpul very very shortly. <laughs> I think we will be getting Magpul, yes. And uh, we're just, I mean, you know, uh, Texas, if I'm not mistaken, I think I'm, I'm, I'm fairly accurate about this. We have the most corporate headquarters of any state in the United States. I wouldn't be you, probably Arizona. I mean, there's some, you know, again, it boils down to your political ideology and beliefs and, you know, 
there's some states that are much better than others. I unfortunately live in a state that I don't agree with its politics, but because of where I work, I have to, you know, I've earned a retirement and I've got to, I'm forced to stay here for six more years. But after that, after, uh, what is it, February 26, 2019, I'll be joining you. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. You know, uh, check out San Antonio. It's a nice place. Been there many times near Lackland Air Force Base, so yeah, I'm very familiar with it. Well, David, thank you very much for donating your time. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Anytime. Take care. Take care, Bob. Bye. Bye. Thank you, David. Appreciate your time, as always. To all of you who have interviewed on this podcast, I very much appreciate your time. Time is not a renewable asset, so spend it wisely, and I appreciate what you guys do. With that said, that's going to go ahead and wrap up the show for this week. If you have any questions, please feel free to send me an email, get on the forum, uh, do whatever you have to do, and uh, get in touch with me. With that said, thanks for listening to another episode of today's survival show. It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have where you are. I'll catch you next week. Goodbye.